And hello to all of you tuning in with us today. It's always good. It's always exciting for us to, to be able to gather together and worship Jesus. It's, it's really, really, really important. I know that you know that, but it's good for us to remind each other of that as well. Um, now, several years ago, there was a news story about a man that had been adopted at birth, and later in life, he discovered this, and he had been raised by an amazing family. They had loved him as their own. In fact, dad had raised him in the art of engine repair and was hoping to pass the family business along to him when he retired. So this family just loved, loved this boy. But this guy, this guy just discovered he had been adopted at birth and he wanted to be reunited with his birth parents. And his adoptive family said, okay, well, we'll support, we'll support you in that. And so in October of 2003, he set off on a journey to meet his biological parents. And he didn't know what he was gonna find. He didn't know what he was gonna discover. But there was a camera crew that said, we'll follow you. We wanna document this journey with you. So he went on a nationwide search. And pretty soon after beginning, he discovered that his mom had passed away tra tragically when she was really young, which was really sad. But then he learned that his dad was still alive and he learned where he lived and he learned that he was a successful businessman in a big city. And so he thought, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go meet my dad. Now, you can appreciate his excitement and his anxiety, right? He was raised in the middle of nowhere. And now he's gonna go meet his very successful father. And so he launches out on this journey, but right before he left, his family sat him down and said, look, there's really something that we just feel like you should know. It's the only thing that we know about your dad. And we wouldn't want you to do this without knowing this. And so they sat him down and said, here's the deal. Your dad's name is Walter Hobbs and he's on Santa's naughty list. And it's not good, right? Now, if you've ever seen the movie Elf, you, you know, you, you can remember the scene, right? You remember the scene where Buddy discovers his dad is not who he hoped that he would be. And what does he do? He yells in horror and fright. Why? He's super disappointed. But I think he's also a little embarrassed, right? Because this is the kind of unexpected news you don't want to know about your family tree. Like this is the kind of Christmas present you do not want to get. Imagine if you logged on to Ancestry.com or 23andMe and you're, you want to learn about your family and you discover, oh great, I am related to a serial killer. One of my great, great, great grandfathers started a religious cult or my dad's on the naughty list. Like this is bad, this is bad news, right? That is unexpected news. Well, for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the unexpected events and the details that make up the original Christmas story, where we learn about Jesus arriving on this earth as a human. And I want you to think about, if you're familiar with the story, think about how unexpected these details might be. They might seem really familiar, but I want you to think about the mystery of his mother's pregnancy, right? There was some mystery there, or the unexpected timing of his arrival, or the awkwardness of where and how he was born. There's lots of unexpected details in this story. And so for good measure, we want to start off the Christmas series in a very unexpected way. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn, click, or swipe to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you're not familiar with Matthew, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament written by a guy named Matthew. That's right, written by a guy named Matthew, who actually ended up being an unexpected follower of Jesus. And, and Matthew got to walk the earth with Jesus. So he decided that he was going to write a biography, okay? So he's, he's telling us what happened. And for whatever reason, Matthew thought, well, I've got the best way to tell the Christmas story. And he begins in Matthew 1.1 in a, well, it's kind of an unexpected way. Check this out. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, 
the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Next slide. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, Ram, what an awful name. Ram, the father of Abinadab. And it just goes on. Next slide. I think the next slide. Maybe one more slide. I think there's still another slide. And one more slide. Okay. Lots of names, dads and granddads and all these people. But then we pick up the story where it gets familiar, okay? Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, that was exciting. Why'd you rush through all those names? Like I was learning so much. But I know that you weren't thinking that because I watched all you people in the room zone out. You're like, oh my gosh, is he gonna read all of these names? Or maybe you've actually read scripture before and you've come across the genealogy and you thought, boring, moving on, right? Who, who cares? Well, this is how Matthew decides he is going to begin his biography of Jesus in a really, really unexpected way. But I want you to know, even though it might seem odd and boring to us, Matthew is going out of his way to help us understand how Jesus is connected to us in some very important and even some very unexpected ways. Now, if you were a Jew back in Jesus's day, your genealogy was what mattered most. It wasn't your line of credit or your line of work or the, line of, the lines of your resume. It was your family line that told the world, this is who I am. This is the value that I bring to the earth. And so with that in mind, Matthew said, ah, this is how I'm gonna tell you about my friend Jesus. And so I want to go back to Matthew 1.1 and I want you to pay attention to some details that he, incur, uh, that he includes here for us. So he says, this is the genealogy of the, the son of David. Now, does David sound familiar to you? He should. Like David and Goliath, David. Or if you don't know anything else about David, King David, like the greatest king that has ever lived and ruled over Israel. That is this David guy. And so when Matthew says, I want you to know that my friend Jesus is the son of David, he is saying, I want you to know that Jesus is royalty. He is born into a line of kings. Not only that, he's a king himself. Now, think about this. A thousand years before Jesus was born, 1,000 years before Jesus was born, God made a promise to David. And he said, I want you to know that your family dynasty will rule Israel forever. There will always be a king on the throne in Israel from your family. In fact, one of your descendants will be an eternal king. He will reign forever. Or as the great theologian Michael Squince Polydorus would say, for ever, right? Forever. One of your descendants, David, is going to be different from anyone that's ever ruled. That's a huge promise, isn't it? That happened a thousand years before Jesus was born, but 700 years before Jesus was born. God revealed a similar message to a prophet named Isaiah. In Isaiah 9, we read this, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. For to us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Same thing that God had promised to David, he reveals to the prophet Isaiah. And so Matthew, when he writes this genealogy for us, 
he is connecting very important theological dots to help us understand that when Jesus was born that first Christmas, he was fulfilling a promise that God had made to David and he was fulfilling prophecies that he had given to prophets like Isaiah. But there's another reason that this genealogy is so important to us today in 2020. And it is simply this, this story is true. Matthew wants us to know Jesus's story is true. This isn't like a once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. This is here, this is now, this happened. Jesus is legit. He was born to a real family and he is a real king. I think Matthew is saying, I want you to pay attention to these details. I'm giving you all the details I have so that you can know who Jesus is and why he came and you can understand what he has done for you. So Matthew begins by connecting Jesus to King David. And then in verse one of Matthew 1, 1, he connects him to somebody else. Check this out. Uh, next slide, please. There we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, maybe you've heard of Abraham before. If you haven't heard of Abraham, here's what you need to know about Abraham. Abraham was born several hundred years before David. And in Genesis 12, God made a promise to him. And God said, Abraham, I want you to know this. Your family is going to be huge. You won't be able to count all of them. And oh, by the way, one of your descendants is gonna bless the entire world. The whole world is gonna be blessed by somebody in your family. And Matthew says, yeah, Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. God promised Abraham, just wrap your mind around this. One day, someone's gonna be born into your family that will have the power to take everything that's wrong in the world and make it right. Or maybe a really simple way to think about it is this. Somebody's gonna be born into your fa family, Abraham, that will be known as the hope of the world. And we live in a world that needs hope. And Matthew says, yeah, I know this guy. His name is Jesus. This is what his family looks, right, looks like. So Matthew's letting us know, Jesus's family tree is really special. And he's helping us understand that Jesus's birth is the fulfillment of his promises and his purposes for all humanity. Now, can you imagine logging on to Ancestry.com or 23andMe and learning that you had a rocking family tree like Jesus? I mean, wouldn't you feel pretty good? Royal heritage, the whole world's gonna be blessed through you. Like that would be amazing. We all want a family tree like that. And Jesus's family tree is really impressive as long as you don't start to look at all the different branches. Because if you do, here's what you will discover. It's pretty jacked up. There are some pretty shady characters on Jesus's family tree. In fact, some of the stories that are associated with these people that we just read about are so bizarre. You'd be like, Matthew, what are you doing? You're really not helping the cause here. I'm just gonna give you one example, okay? So let's go to verse two. Matthew 1, 2 says this, Abraham, we talked about him, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah and his brothers. Have you ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? That's these guys. This is where the 12 comes from, right? Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now let's pause here for a second. If you're not familiar with Judah, he is the great grandson of Abraham. And I'm gonna let you know a little secret. His family story is pretty embarrassing. And I see little faces in the room, so I'm not gonna go into all the details but adults, I want you to go home and read Genesis 38 later. It'll make you blush. I promise. Trust me, okay? You'll be like, wow, that's in the Bible. That's, that's pretty amazing. Here's the story, though. I'm going to give you the quick flyover. Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, 
pretended to be a prostitute, tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her, and they had a son. His name is Perez. Does anybody want that in their family story? I'm good. I don't, if that happens, I don't want to know. Well, Matthew says, I got a good idea. I'm going to write all their names in Jesus's family line. And so when people were reading this, they're like, oh yeah, I remember that story. Like, good grief, what are you doing, man? But this isn't the only rough patch in Jesus's family tree. If you, if you keep reading on, here's what you find. You're going to find a pattern of sexual misconduct that culminates in one of the greatest kings in Israel, David's son, Solomon. Solomon was known for being a wise king, but he was also known for, get this, having 700 wives. That just makes Christmas sound horrible, right? Can you imagine buying 700 gifts? It's wrong on so many levels, right? But not only that, later in his life, this is, this, I think this is worse. Later in his life, he stopped worshiping the one true God and he started worshiping all kind of false gods. And you know what happened? As the king, his decisions led to the downfall, the destruction, and the exile of the nation of Israel. And if you've ever read the back half of the Old Testament and thought, man, this is depressing, it all goes back to Solomon's decisions. So are you starting to get the picture? Jesus's family tree looks pretty solid at first, doesn't it? Sounds exciting, but then you realize he's got a lot in common with Buddy the Elf. It's pretty embarrassing. You don't want people to know these kind of details about your family. So why on earth would Matthew begin his biography in such an unexpected way? I mean, if I meet him in heaven, I might be like, did you ever think about doing what Luke did and saying like there was an angel that went to Mary and the baby was born and the silent night and all that stuff? Like that's just a better story. What are you doing? Do you, do you even care about Jesus? But here's the thing. I think Matthew knew exactly what he was doing. And I think Matthew records all of the shady past of Jesus's family to say this, he can relate to you. He can relate to me. Here's something that none of us want anybody to know, right? You have dysfunction in your life. I have dysfunction in my life. We live in a dysfunctional world. You don't want anybody to look behind the curtain and see just how messed up or nasty things are. And Matthew, I think this is why Matthew says, let me tell you about all of Jesus's shady relatives. He wants you to know you are not alone. Now, Satan would want you to believe that you or your family is the most jacked up version that's ever been out there. But Matthew says, well, you might be surprised. Here's a list of names for you to consider. And so if there's anything that we can learn from this weird genealogy that Matthew shares with us, it's this. God works through all things to accomplish his purposes. God works through all things, everything, even your crazy, messed up, jacked up family life. And I want you to hear me when I say this, okay? I'm not saying this lightly. God is sad to know that we are all born into families that are broken or splintered. He's not happy about that. He is heartbroken about the pain in our personal and private lives. And I don't know what haunts you from your past. I don't know what terrifies you about the present or the future, but here's the thing, God does, he does. And so I want you to hear this encouragement that the apostle Paul shared with the church in Rome. From Romans eight, it says this, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Now I see some of you nodding. You've probably heard this passage before and you think that sounds great on a coffee mug, put it on a plaque in my office, great. But it doesn't apply to my life. I mean, I can see how it might apply to other people's lives, but you have no idea how messed up things are for me. There's no way God could use this. 
There's no way God could use me. There's no way God could use us. There's nothing good. I've been trying to find something good in this circumstance. It ain't happening. But here's what I want you to know. God has one ultimate goal for my life and for your life. He wants us to become more and more and more like his son Jesus every day. And he is willing to use anything and everything that we are willing to bring to the table for our good and for his glory. Think about this. He used Jesus to redeem David's family. He used Jesus to redeem Abraham's family. So I think that means he's, he would use Jesus to redeem your life and my life and our families and our futures. Now, I mentioned this earlier. If you were Jewish, back in Jesus' day, your genealogy was, it was not just your resume, it was more important than your resume. Your family heritage expressed your worth and your value to the world. And I think Matthew was being very strategic in letting everyone know how messed up Jesus' family is. And here's why. Matthew was Jewish. And he was writing to a Jewish audience. He wanted to catch their attention, so he left some major no-nos in the genealogy. He included a number of outcasts that make an otherwise impressive family tree look really shabby. I'm going to give you a few more examples, okay? Let's jump down to verse 5. We, we meet these two ladies, Rahab and Ruth. Now, Rahab, unlike Tamar, did not pretend to be a prostitute. She was a prostitute. That's how she earned a living. She's in Jesus's family line. And oh, by the way, she wasn't Jewish. And, and this would have been appalling to include these details in, the family, in a family line, okay? You've got Ruth. Maybe you've heard of Ruth before. Also not Jewish. She was a Moabite. Moabites and Jews didn't get along. So this would have been an insult to Matthew's Jewish readers. And then if you jump down to verse six, we meet a couple of other people. David, King David, the great King David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Question, why wouldn't Matthew just tell, her, tell us her name? Maybe he calls her Uriah's wife because he wants you to know, oh yeah, remember, she wasn't David's wife. There was an affair. The great David wasn't so great. He had an affair, gave birth to a son named Solomon. You know the rest of the story, right? I mean, and Matthew says, oh, I'm going to mention this in a way that's pretty, it'll remind people of how embarrassing it was. He just doesn't shy away from it. So he mentions all these women. And while we're on the, while we're on the subject of women, tracing a heritage like this, you would have gone by naming the men. So the fact that Matthew mentions women would have been pretty unheard of, but he doesn't just mention one woman, he mentions five. Four of the five were not Jewish, which would catch their attention. Three of the five had a history of sexual immorality. What on, what on earth is Matthew doing here? Why, why is he doing this? He is strategically breaking all the rules and helping us understand what Jesus' family was like, like so that we can understand this. The message of the gospel is for everyone. It applies to everyone, Jew and non-Jew alike, male and female, pure blood, half blood, muddled blood, whatever it is, it's for all of us. Now, maybe you've heard this word gospel before and you thought, I hear that, like it's a church word, what does it mean? The word gospel simply means good news. And I wanna tell you what the good news is. The good news, the unexpected good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born into this world to take all of our sin and all of our mess 
all of our brokenness and to fix it. That's why he came. And Matthew lets us know he did that in spite of the fact that his family tree was muddled and mangled. His family tree includes moral outcasts, ethnic outsiders, and women who had been devalued, ignored, and ignored for, for several generations. So what, what is Matthew getting at? Well, I think pastor and author David Platt sums it up perfectly. This is what he said. These names are included in the line that leads to Christ so that you can know that your name can be included in the line that leads to Christ. That's really good news. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what you've been done to you. It doesn't matter what your family name is. It doesn't matter if you feel like an outcast, if people tell you you're an outcast. That doesn't matter because Jesus can change anyone's story. And if you feel that this message isn't for you, go back and read Matthew 1. Read the names. Pay attention to their stories and find where you fit in there. I promise you, you do. Jesus can transform anyone's story. Now, there's one other really fascinating detail in this genealogy that is so easy for us to blitz right past, or maybe we become too familiar with it. I've already mentioned it a couple of times. I find myself reading past it if I'm not careful, okay? Look at Matthew 1.1 again. This is what he says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now that word Messiah is a Hebrew word and it simply means the anointed one. The Greek equivalent is Christ. So whenever you hear someone say Jesus Christ, or as Matthew says here, Jesus the Messiah, they're pointing to the fact that Jesus is the long-awaited, promised savior of the world, the king of kings. That's what that phrase means. And that is a very critical part to the Christmas story. And this fact that Jesus was the Messiah was so important to Matthew, he doesn't just mention it once, he mentions it twice. Look at verse 16. This is at the very end of the genealogy. Joseph was the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Now here's why this is so important. This struck me this week and I thought, oh my, oh my goodness, I, I, how did I, I never see this. Matthew bookends the genealogy of Jesus by saying he's the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the promised king, the hope of the world. He's trying to catch our attention and saying he has come to save us to rescue us, and he did it through this really messed up family. That should give all of us hope. Now, it's easy for us to think that, that the, this Christmas story is about a baby being born to some poor peasant parents in a really unexpected way, and, and that's a big part of it, but it's actually more than that. And here's why. Jesus himself claimed to be God in the flesh, and all the writers of the New Testament said, he's God in the flesh. So it's not just that Jesus came as a baby. It's that God became man that first Christmas. And I want you to listen to how John, who wrote the gospel of John, one of Jesus's very best friends, I want you to listen how he describes his version of the Christmas story. John 1, 1, he says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now, when he uses this word, word, he is referring to Jesus. And you'll see why in just a second. In the beginning, the word or Jesus already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And then listen to this. So the word became 
human. Some translations say flesh. And made his home among us, dwelled among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John says, I want you to know my friend Jesus has always existed. He's always existed. And this is why he has come. The writer of Hebrews tells us this, that in his humanity, Jesus became like us in every way imaginable, meaning he was born into a broken family just like me and you. He was limited to a frail human body just like me and you. He experienced all the trials and all the temptations that we experience. And then get this, Jesus in his humanity, he died. But you know why he died? He died for me and you. He had never sinned against his heavenly father. And he willingly laid down his life so that anyone, anyone that would put their trust and their faith in him could be forgiven of their sins, could be filled with the spirit of God to become more and more like him. And get this, this is really important. This might be unexpected news for you today. You could be adopted into God's family, a brand new family, a perfect family a family that he is making perfect all the time. And so the unexpected message of Christmas isn't that Jesus came as a little baby or a life coach or a wise prophet or a good teacher. The unexpected message of Christmas is that Jesus arrived as God's long-awaited Messiah, the promised eternal King of Kings to David, the promised hope of the world to Abraham and for the rest of us. Now, many of us are familiar with these details, aren't we? If you're following Jesus today, hopefully you're thinking, man, this is a really good reminder. Well, I want it to be a good reminder, but I also want it to motivate us to remind us of the message we carry with us in Christmas. It's not just that we decorate trees. It's not just that we exchange gifts. We celebrate this good news. Jesus came from heaven to the earth as a man in a real family, and he has really saved us from our sins. And so I just want to challenge you to let's live this out together in the midst of the crazy chaotic world that we live. Let's share this good news of Jesus. But maybe some of you are here today or maybe some of you are tuning in online and you have been wondering, you've been discovering, you've been questioning, you've been investigating, is Jesus real? Matthew says he is. And I want you to know this. I want you to hear me say this. He has a gift for you. It is the gift of eternal life. When you put your trust in him, when you are willing to admit you're a sinner, you have broken, fractured your relationship with your heavenly father. When you put your trust in what Jesus has done for you, you're forgiven, you're filled with the spirit and you're adopted. And so maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never been baptized into Jesus. Today could be that day. If you're tuning in online, I would love for you to drop us a comment and say, I would like to talk with somebody about starting a relationship with Jesus. If you're in the room with us today, I want to invite you to find me or find Steve. Do not let today pass by receiving this unexpected gift. It is good news. It is great news. It is what we celebrate every week when we gather together. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I am so thankful that by the power of your spirit, you led Matthew in recording this genealogy. And it's so easy for us to say, it's just a boring list of names, but it's not. It is the family line of your son and our savior. And it looks pretty sometimes, 
but most of the times it doesn't. And I think you did that because you want us to know, I see your brokenness. I'm aware and I care. Father, would you help us to lean into the truth of this story this Christmas season? Would you help us remember when we sing songs and when we decorate and when we exchange gifts, we are celebrating your arrival, Jesus, as a human, as the King of Kings, who will return one day to make everything right again. Would you help those of us that follow you, Jesus, to take this message seriously, to share it with our words and with our life and with our love? But I pray for my friends that are here with us today, Jesus, that don't know you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in their hearts and you would lead them out of their comfort zone into a saving relationship with your son. And maybe they're looking at their family saying, it's so broken. And you're saying, come to me. I have a new family for you. I want to be your heavenly father. I want to give you my spirit. I want to forgive your sins. Would you move in such a powerful way that they would talk to someone today and they would find new life in you, Jesus. We love you. We worship you. We praise you and we thank you. It is in your powerful, precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.